and welcome to another edition of Outside is Overrated. We've made it through eight episodes. We are on episode nine. Tom and Joey are in love. Welcome back to the show, Joey Burns. For the first time in the history of Outside is Overrated, we have the same co-host back-to-back. Welcome. It's so good to see you again. It's good to be back. Before we launch into our show today, we would like to say a quick thank you to our sponsor, Premier Health. Check out their website at premierhealthmn.com. We've got an awesome show for you today. It is the month of February. We are recording on February 21st of 2019. This is our third tentative recording date in February, and we made it. (laughs) Originally, this podcast was going to come out around Valentine's Day, so we have a very lovey-dovey, very, very mushy theme for you today. We're going to read our love letters to the industry. My Tom Awesome's Top 5 is going to talk about the games I love playing with my wife. We have a new feature called Burnsy's Book Buzz that we're going to throw at you. I didn't give Joey a chance to think about the title. I just, you know, named it. So it works. Here we are. Alliteration's always a good thing. I was an English major. I'm kind of into that stuff, so that works. We're going to do a very special charisma check section where we're going to take some questions from our audience and give our best love advice. Make sure you stick around for that. We'll talk about our Final Fantasy Challenge, the first stage, and then we are going to sign off and... Go do epic things with our lives. How does that sound, Joey? Sounds great. I'm ready to rock and roll. With it being the month of Valentine's Day and our lovey-dovey episode, I wanted to brag about my Valentine's Day a little bit. So my wife and I went out. We went to a couple microbreweries. But before we did, we went to Half Price Books, where she found the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles role-playing game. And uh, we bought it. It's 40 bucks for a second-hand... Uh, paperback edition of a role-playing system, but I love the Turtles, I love role-playing, I'm excited. So I have a quick question. So do you play as the actual Turtles, or are you a separate radioactive turtle, or can you be other animals? You are other animals. I think there's a random element to where you roll it all up on a table. You roll up the type of mutation that you have, the type of animal you are, so it looks like there's an element of randomness in the kind of creature that you are, and then you have more standard things where you're picking your stats and assigning your attribute points. It's a point-by system, Uh, and it just looks awesome. That is awesome. That sounds great. And Phoenix found it. She picked it out. She's had her eye on it for a long time. She's been watching it on Amazon, but on Amazon, a pre-owned copy is between $50 and $100, and we found it for $40, so we pulled the trigger, so... Awesome. Nice. Well done. Yeah, I hit the jackpot. I also got Crime and Punisher, a Spider-Man graphic novel, so that's awesome. It's Spider-Man and the Punisher, my two guys. Yeah. All it needed was Venom, and you would have just been over the top. It would have been perfect, but, you know, what can you do? So how about you, Joey? In the last episode, you know, we threw it out there that you were open for business. Any (laughs) takers? Did you have a nice Valentine's Day? (laughs) Nope. No takers as of yet. Um, That's Hobby Box Burns. On Twitter or Instagram, if you want to send me an Instagram or something. I, mean, I still don't know how it works. I haven't looked. I have to look into it next time. Um, I think there's something about sliding into DMs. <laughs> I don't even know what that means. It's like, I don't know. If it's anything physical, it's, let's wait till the second date at least. So, You know, one of our audience members dates a much younger girl. Maybe they can explain it to us. If you're out there, Rogue Hippo, why don't you, uh, you know, break it down <laughs> <laughs> We'd appreciate that. Thank you. Speaking of our friends, I would like to give a shout out to my friend Erin. I've known Erin since high school. Uh, she is not a gamer whatsoever. Has never really been into games. Doesn't play video games. Doesn't do role playing games. It's just not really her thing. But she listens to every episode of this podcast. So shout out to you, Erin. I really appreciate your downloads and that you listen. 
we mentioned, or we talked about this a little bit, and you said you'd never been a pod shoot before, but you are now, so congratulations. Welcome to Internet Celebrityhoodness. Thanks for listening. Another thing I wanted to touch on before we launch into our full show, one of the reasons we had to reschedule our original recording date was that we had an opportunity to jump into the Anthem Devil. I mean, we're not special. Everyone in the world had the opportunity, (laughs) but it just happened to fall on the weekend that we had planned on recording. So I think we have very similar feelings. Why don't you lead our thoughts on the state of Anthem, which comes out tomorrow as we're recording this. Oh, yeah, it does. Um, So ultimately... The stuff that we were able to play together was kind of fun when, when it worked. When it worked. Um, and so I think the story single player stuff, or not single player, but the story kind of group stuff where you can play as your own party was interesting and fun. But anytime we tried to do anything outside of that story mission, we could never team up completely as a group. Um, guessing they probably fixed that by now, but still it just didn't give a very good first impression. So definitely something that I'm going to wait and see and probably wait until about half off in order to even really start looking at it. There were elements that were very fun. When it worked, it was very fun. It was a very Destiny-type sci-fi squad-based shooter where you could fly like Iron Man. And when it worked, it was awesome, but for us, it just didn't work. Not really, no. We tried doing the same mission about four times. I got booted out of the first time, and you guys beat it without me. And then (laughs) I think the next time, it wouldn't load me in. And then the next time, you got caught in a tree. Yeah, I got caught in like a tree, uh, like halfway down the cliff and could not get out. So just waited till you guys died, and we just sat there forever. It's a game I've been excited about for a while. Uh, I don't like that it really emphasizes the squad base, so if you're on your own, you're kind of hosed. But it's going to be fascinating to see if it works when it launches, because this demo was just a couple weeks ago, and the game was a broken, unplayable mess. When it worked, it was fun, but it'll be really interesting to see how the launch goes. And good luck, Bioware. Good luck, EA. I hope it works out and everything works, but I am taking a very wait-and-see approach on Anthem. Yep, same here. Thank you so much for listening to our show today. We're out of here. Yeah, it was, it was good. Uh, thank you, guys. Uh, it's at uh, Tom underscore underscore awesome on Twitter. Uh, that's my account. His is at HobbyBoxBurns on Twitter. Uh, just reach out to us and let us know what you think. You can also follow the show on Facebook.com slash Outside is Overrated or on Instagram at Outside underscore Overrated Pod. I had a really awkward transition there. And so I thought, well, we're just going to act like we're bailing out of this entirely. And then you jumped in and started plugging the social. I thought, well, what the hell? We're back in. <laughs> it works. You know, it's, you just gotta just keep you just gotta keep kneading it around until it's nice and pretty and flat. And I don't want to give people the impression that we don't know what we're doing here, but you know, we're really just flying by the seat of our pants. So you know, if you stick around to the end of the show, God bless you. We love you. <laughs> with our very lovey theme. I thought it'd be interesting to share our love of the gaming industry with the world. So I took the liberty of making us do some love letters. <laughs> so I think I'll kick us off here, Joey. Let me pull up my love letter sheet. You can. You can hear it rustling. This is a this is a real letter that I really wrote, and I am really sending out into the world. I really wanted you to put some lipstick on and put a kiss on it before you send it out. I I really hope you do that. Well, I'm drinking a glass of scotch while we record this, so uh, we'll see how the night goes. <laughs> I held it up for uh, those of you who are listening at home, which is technically everybody. <laughs> well, they could be in their car. Dear Ubisoft, I love the platform you created in Ghost Recon Wildlands. Over the last couple years, there has not been a better forum for online gaming with my friends. Wildland supports a very Tom-friendly level of mayhem. Within the jungles of Bolivia, my friends and I have learned the joys of Fragtag, and that there is no friendly fire for my grenade launcher. 
three out of the four of us saw Wildlands as one of our three most played games last year, and that is really remarkable. You're not perfect, Wildlands and Ubisoft, but you are awesome, and I love you. Sincerely, Tom Awesome. Ubisoft is pretty good, and it's one of those companies that, for some reason, you just can't, like, not root for them, right? I mean, they, they tend to just do things for players. Like, Rainbow Six Siege came out, and people didn't really like it. They keep working with it. They keep working with it. They keep working with it. And then, boom, it's like a huge success. They have millions of players. They've been supporting the game for years. It's And they do that with all their games. They actually, it seems like they love what they do. Imagine if the quiet man had that level of love and support. Oh my God! It needed it needed all the love and more. Holy balls! That that's one of those games that you just sort of kind of just you know take for a drive and then come back without it. Game Informer gave it a three, the lowest score I've ever seen them give a game. And that might even be too high in my standards. <laughs> well, I will go with the next one. Just try to get into my uh, love sensual voice. mood. Yeah. Dear Electronics Entertainment Expo, I have loved you since I was a boy, reading PC Gamer magazine and seeing all the pictures of all the press conferences and everything that's out there. Now, you've grown up and I've grown up too, and I am still, still so in love with you. Now we get to watch every single video. We get to see every press conference. And and even on top of that, I get to share my love of E3 with everybody as the show happens. It's truly magical what Twitch can do. And for that, E3, I love you. Sincerely, Joe Burns. You can read that coverage on OutsideIsOverrated.com. Sticking with our media theme, Dear Brian Che and Game Informer, Love is a strong word, but I will always have a tremendous amount of appreciation for you. You, Mr. Brian Che, were the first famous person I interviewed for Outsiders Overrated. It was the most popular post in the first two years of the site and is still one of our most viewed pieces of content. We may not have become best buddies like I hoped, but it was a tremendous pleasure when you brought me on a tour of the Game Informer office. I love meeting so many people that I read every month. You are exceptionally kind to a stranger on Twitter, and I hope that I can pay that kindness forward someday. Warm regards, Tom Awesome. I had a hard time with a salutation on that one, because it wasn't really a love letter. It was more of a <laughs> like letter. That's all right. I, I wanted something warm, and I didn't know what to say, so I just stuck warm regards in there. And I didn't think of anything better before we read it, so here we are. Hey, that's all right. There's, uh, there is definitely nothing wrong with that. So uh, sticking with the media theme, <clears throat> I guess new media maybe is what we would call them. Dear Easy Allies, back in the day when you were game trailers and you showed nothing but game trailers, I really didn't give a squat. Then you got shut down. Just as I was starting to watch your reactions to Electronics Entertainment Expo and also watch your tabletop escapades, you were torn away from me. But... One month later, like a phoenix rising from the ashes, you came back as the Nine, the Easy Allies, and have solidified my entertainment enjoyment ever since then. Last time when I went to PSX two years ago, I got to meet you guys in person, and each one of you was so interesting and nice and warm, whether it was sitting down with Don and playing the racing horse game, 
or if it was talking to Huber about everything that he's excited about, there was nothing more than enjoyable when I was like freaking out about meeting these people online that really shouldn't give two shits about me. So easy allies, thank you for being the easiest of allies. Love and respect, Hobby Box Burns. You know, it's uh, it's interesting that we get so excited to meet these people, and it's probably so insignificant to them. I hope that we are able to, you know, someday have that same impact on people. I guess I got a little bit when I worked in baseball, and I was the guy that was the gatekeeper to Matt Weeders. Then people were really interested in me. <laughs> I got this rogue hippo guy that follows me on Twitter. He seems to be really into me. Um, so I don't know. Maybe sometime I'll actually get to meet him in person, and uh, we can maybe throw the ball around and. Uh, I can be that father figure he's looking for. That sounds beautiful. <laughs> Dear Gearbox, Borderlands 2 is a timeless classic. It is the most recent entry in my top five favorite games of all time. I don't consider shooters my favorite genre, but your addictive mix of loot gathering and quirky sense of humor stole my heart. I hope you can recapture the magic with Borderlands 3, but if not, we will always have the second entry. Much love, Tom Awesome. Did I ever tell you that I applied for a job at Gearbox when I lived down in Dallas? No, you didn't. I'm guessing you didn't get it because you live here now. Yeah, they never got back to me, so fuck them. Yeah, fuck them. <laughs> Double fuck them. <laughs> Dear Phoenix, you are the most amazing woman in the world. I love playing games with you, and I love how you support my passion for gaming. I live every day of my life to love you, and I look forward to countless games as we grow all together. All my love, you're Thomas. Aww. That was a deeply personal moment that I just shared with the internet. So, uh, you know, I guess. You know, having done that before last week when I talked about my balls for five minutes, it, it is, it's one of those things where it's scary because you're just letting yourself just out there and expose. But after a while, you I just learn to expect choice it. Of word. <laughs> I do my best. And with my love and adoration for my wife out there in the world, Let's launch into Tom Awesome's top five games I love playing with my wife. It's time now for... Tom Awesome's top five countdown. Five, four, three, two, one. Number five, Ascension. It was our first deck-building game that we kind of got into each other. Have you played it much, Joey? No, actually, I don't think I've ever played it. It's uh, really neat. I've gotten into some different deck-building games. Thunderstone is probably my favorite, but Ascension is just a really easy entry point. That you're trying to collect victory points, and you just, you know, there's five cards out there. You buy what you can, you build your deck, and you fight some monsters. And it was simple and accessible and just really, really fun. Cool. We'll have to try it sometime. Definitely. Number four... Phoenix really loves this game. I enjoy it too. Not on the same level, but Pandemic. We got the original one together. She got really into it. We played a little bit of the Legacy one. We thought for a long time about making that a couples game. And we're like, well, which couple do we want to play with? Because we have couples where one of either the guys into games or the girls into games, but they don't really do it together. And we don't really have any couples friends that we're that close with. And then finally, we found the perfect couple. We set up a day where we... Uh, gay Freudian slip right there. Oh. We set up a day where we did a Star Wars role-playing game with three of our friends, and then two of them, our favorite couple, Casey and Adam, stuck around, and they played. They started Pandemic Legacy with us, and we got maybe a third of the way through it, and we haven't played it again in <laughs> two years. We're uh, we're still waiting on Adam to pick a time that he's available in May, so, you know, just let us know, because, you know, we're here. We have the game. We're not going to start with another couple, so 
Yeah. <laughs> Let's do it. How many times do I talk myself into a wall where I just go, yeah, hey, That's a good way to get out of it. Especially the more like seductive you are with the yeah in this episode, it's going to yeah. work. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the next game, number three. This is a game that I actually hated when it came out. <laughs> and it's from a line of games that I absolutely adore. Diablo 2 will forever be one of my favorite games. Uh, I should actually write out my top five so I have these top of mind. But just off the top of my head, it's probably... Baldur's Gate, Final Fantasy Tactics, Diablo 2, Borderlands 2, and then uh, the fifth spot would be something. But the game that we've gotten into really in-depth together is Diablo 3, playing it locally on uh, the PS4. The irony, I wasn't even going to buy it on the PS4. Like, I played it when it came out on PC, and I'm like, this game sucks. I'm not going to do it again. And then for the Game On Oblivious Noobs Gamecast, we decided that our next game was going to be Diablo 3. So I went out and I bought it and we started playing it. And you and me and Lance never got together and we never actually played it together. But Phoenix and I started playing together and we just had a whale of a time with it. We played it once, I think. You and Lance might have played it. I don't know if I actually played with you guys. Well, that could be too. We should do that again sometime. Yeah, fun game. We're just uh, about they fixed a lot of stuff, so... You know, we live in a magical age where they can fix games after release, making these whole broad sweeping changes, which sucks for people like Doha with that don't game online and don't mm-hmm. have a connection. But, you know, for 99% of the gaming population, it's a beautiful thing because that game sucked when it came out and now it's awesome. Number two, the Lego games, specifically Lego Pirates of the Caribbean. That was, I think, the first video game that Phoenix got super hooked on, and I was absolutely enthralled with it too. It was the first game we 100%ed together. And it was just so crazy addictive. That was like our main form of entertainment for weeks once we got into it. Huh. And did the like the Marvel superheroes ones, did they have sort of a similar sticking point or was it really just the pirates that really caught you? No, we played a bunch of them. We 100%ed <coughs> Marvel superheroes on the PS4. That was one of our early PS4 titles. Uh, we played a lot of Lord of the Lego Lord of the Rings and we've played some Batman 3, she's played a lot of Batman 2 on the Vita, and we played a lot of them, but Pirates was the high point for us. I don't know what it was that set that one apart, but we love the Lego games. I really recommend them for couples, especially for a guy trying to get the girl into gaming and something you can do together. You can't die, there's a lot to explore and figure out together, and they're just a lot of fun. I love the Lego games. Number one, Lord of the Rings, the living card game. Now this is something that kind of surprised me, because Phoenix is into games but she's not like a hardcore gamer and i view the living card game as a pretty hardcore thing Mm -hmm. you buy a base game which comes with four different like starter decks and four different schools and then there's six cycles of expansions that come out they're like mini expansions and you buy those you use those cards to upgrade your deck and you get different challenges and you're playing through different missions and you're constantly buying more stuff and constantly upgrading your deck and phoenix i mean this is a very tom kind of game i love upgrading Mm -hmm. decks and tinkering with all this little stuff uh, Phoenix really got into it too, and it's been just awesome. We haven't played it as much in the last year or two. Having a baby kind of <laughs> cut into the time for the hardcore card games, but it's been awesome. And then a couple of things I just want to bring up an honorable mention: Tomb Raider: Guardians of Light. We were playing that on the 360, specifically when we lived in an apartment together before we moved into the house, and then it kind of dropped off. We got pushed back for other things. We just got back into it. That game is so annoyingly frustrating at the end. But we, <laughs> We just jumped back into it the other night. We're on the 12th board out of 14, and uh, we got through that, and it sucked, but I think we're going to try to push through and try to finish it just out of my own stubborn nature to have <laughs> you know, something to talk about when we discuss the games we beat in 2019. And also, on honorable mention, Super Mario Odyssey and Little Big Planet. I didn't give you much of a chance to talk here, Joey. Sorry, but... No, that's all right. That's all right. Super Mario Odyssey, awesome game. 
Yeah, it is. And we just pass the controller back and forth. We alternate lives. Just, it's a lot of fun to explore and have another set of eyes to try to figure stuff out and just fun stuff. So we find, well, I like playing non-co-op games more. She likes to be a little bit more in, up in the action with both of us playing at once, but, you know, good stuff. Before moving on to our next segment, I would like to thank our sponsor one more time. Thank you, Premier Health. Premier Health has solutions for back pain, neck pain, car accident and work injuries, and more. I suggest seeing Dr. Camille in Golden Valley, Minnesota. Learn more at PremierHealthMN.com. That's PremierHealthMN.com. It's time now for the next big thing. It's alive! It's alive! It's alive! So this is a new segment. It might be something we do a little bit from time to time. It was actually your idea, Joey, but it was... The next big thing, we're going to mash together two things that aren't traditionally combining games, and we're going to talk about what that would be, what that would look like. I'll start us off. Something that I've always wanted but haven't really had delivered is a hardcore sports role-playing game. I've always been bugged by stats in sports games. Like, look at Madden specifically. You're not playing a 15-minute quarter football game of Madden. Nobody has time to dedicate to one hour of one football game, and you'd win like 7,000 to 13. <laughs> it's hard to find a balance, and when you're doing that, it's hard to find a balance when you're playing for a reasonable amount of time and generating realistic stats. So like if you play four-minute quarters, five-minute quarters, six-minute quarters, seven-minute quarters, it's hard to find an appropriate balance where you're generating stats that are realistic enough to be believable, um, and you're not blowing away the leaderboards and winning every award at the end of the year because it's not, you know fun if it's not a challenge. I also hate when games have a super easy difficulty mode and when people play on those super easy difficulty modes and just dominate. I remember one time my friend Dan was playing uh, the ESPN football game that was so big in the 2000s and he had it set to the easiest difficulty mode and he rushed for a thousand yards in a game. <laughs> and then his roommate was playing on like hard and really struggling and losing games like six to three and Dan would just brag. He's like, I ran for a thousand yards. You scored three points. What's wrong with you, you loser? That is one thing that always bothers me about sports games is when you play through them, like when they sim the games, the stats for those are always like 15-minute quarters, and then yours are always lagging behind. So it almost is like you have to like favor one side or the other if you want to be like the passing leader or the rushing leader. It is annoying. I agree with you on that. It's hard to find a realistic balance. And for me, I want realism in my sports games. Like that's the whole thing. It's like living out the fantasy of being in these leagues. You want it to be realistic. You don't want to dominate. You don't want to have it be a – well, you want to dominate, but you don't want it to be easy to dominate. I remember back in the day I played some Inside the Park Baseball. Outside the Park Baseball is a fantastic baseball sim, but they experimented with a game called Inside the Park Baseball, which was very role-playing heavy. You did these things to upgrade all of your character's stats, and it was – a good starting point. It was a step in the right direction, but I don't think they ever followed it up. And I'm sure the internet will let us know <laughs> if we're wrong. But I'm looking for something where you control the elements of your character, and then the games are simmed. You drive the choices that create your stats, and then those stats and determine the successes, and everything's based on statistical outcomes. So you can still work your way up to being a dominant player in the league, but it's not handed to you, and it's the outcomes are realistic enough. Interesting. Interesting. So that's my first choice. Trying to think of a segue into your first one. I guess I'll just turn it over to you. Yeah. um, Very different type of game here. But I really want to see first-person shooters that 
have like a real branching narrative. So like like Detroit Become Human has or like Telltale Games have where every decision you make actually legitimately matters. So instead of does Wolfenstein kind of jump into that territory? It does a little bit, but like other than like the one or two points in that game where you save this guy or you let this guy die, does that really affect the stuff downstream? I want there to be more branching off points. So it's like this decision to shoot this guy like is going to drastically impact like how many other guys come in, if guys get afraid, if you blow someone's head off, the guys around him like run away. Like I want to see like actual like branching in the AI of these things are responding to what's happening. And then I also really want to see if you could barter with enemies. So find a way so that you could convince someone to your side. So you have your branching dialogue paths and at some way, some, somehow with different characters, you can talk them into joining your side. And so it's not just you against the world, but then you have these massive battles where you're giving squad base like, like orders for people to go in different directions and it makes it easier or more difficult in different ways. Something that just continues to alter and change as you're playing it. And I think Bioshock tries to do some of that stuff, but it's still the same story all the way through. I want there to be like specific points in the story where you make this decision and it's a drastically different game after that. Now I know that's a huge game, probably impossible to make. Is it impossible or is it Cyberpunk 2077? That see, that could be it. That could be the one. I'm trying to I tend to get overexcited about games, so I'm trying to sort of rein that in. I don't want another destiny on my hands with this. You tend to get overexcited <laughs> about a lot of stuff. I think it's one of the reasons we're such good friends. <laughs> That is true, We're but like I really the like twins of excitement. <laughs> I'm probably just the bucket sometimes, aren't I? <laughs> oh, memories of college. Anyway, <laughs> so that's my first game. Uh, I, I just want more story decisions that actually matter. And so the next game I have is a real-time strategy game. We all know that RTS games are dead. The, the, Dead-ish. I think uh, StarCraft still did okay, didn't it? StarCraft's doing okay. And WarCraft 3 is coming back as a remastered game. And I'm interested in playing that again because I never actually beat that the first time I through. I never played it the first time. I bought it eight years after it came out, but uh, I will definitely be checking out the remaster on it. I love WarCraft games. WarCraft 2 was like kind of my entry into actual gaming when I was younger. Oh, me too. Yeah. We like the same. We should kiss. Sorry, I use my throat a lot when I kiss. Maybe that's why I'm single. I don't know. (laughs) It could be. (laughs) Anyway, coming back to your real-time strategy game. So I think what real-time strategy needs, all you do is you click on the enemies, and then you attack them. And it's all down to stats as to whether you beat them or not. So instead of just sort of leaning on that, which we've tried forever, people are sick of it, people are tired of it, Instead, why don't we add a wrinkle into the combat that's just like the playbook in Tecmo Super Bowl? You make a selection of four to six tactics. The other player that's getting attacked makes another selection, and based upon that tactical choice, 
is whether you get the advantage when you're attacking or you get the advantage while you're defending. And sometimes you're going to be able to just get bum-rushed and destroyed. Other times you're going to get repelled. Other times Keith Millard comes around the side and you're able to get a sack every single time. But that's what I want in my real-time strategy games. Keith Millard, number 75. He was my favorite Viking before he tore up his knee against Tampa Bay. Sad day. Sad day. We should kiss again. When we were were preparing for this show, I don't want to go too much behind the scenes here, but we do a little outline where we write down some thoughts and we make sure we get our key points. This is my favorite note that we've had in the show so far. It says, real-time strategy game with Tecmo Super Bowl combat, and the bullet beneath it says, imagine. (laughs) And I didn't even use that to start my point. (laughs) Well, I can imagine. Here's something I have. This is a little quirky and weird and out there um and let me be very very clear before you pitch this idea i am not advocating physical violence to any human being in the world on any side of any political or any other aisle but i thought there might be some potential satirical value in monster hunter u.s politics (laughs) okay you're going to have to walk me there to see how this works. So there's a character creation. Okay. And as a part of that, you choose which side of the U.S. political spectrum you're on, whether you're Republican, Democrat, maybe there's an independent option. Um, and then once you're launching out into the world, you're looking for this political figure that you're trying to take down. You've got to look for clues out in the world. Like you're out walking through the wilderness and you're looking for contradictions that they said <laughs> so that you can expose them. And then you find them. And then you have these spirited battles. And I don't know how that exactly plays out without physical violence. Again, (laughs) I'm being very clear. I do not advocate for physical harm in any human being on the planet. Um, But maybe you're battling them with spirited debates or you're having primaries to try to uh, unseat them. And then when you defeat them, you gain loot that you can use to craft better gear to become a better speaker or become more charismatic or, you know, get a suit made out of the president's hair. Sorry. <laughs> I thought it uh, I thought it had a little bit of potential. I could see like the combat could sort of be almost like rock band and how the tracks are coming down and you're doing the speech and when you hit the notes your speech is going well. When exactly. you miss it, people are getting into it and they're getting hyped up and uh, your numbers rise and yeah, totally. That could that could work. Yeah. So it's a Monster Hunter US politics rock band mashup. That's very interesting. I'm a very interesting guy. What's your last suggestion here? What's the last thing you created in the lab this time? So my last thing that I'm creating is Imagine. Oh, my God. I'm captivated. <laughs> 100 Tetrominoes drop onto a map. I thought we decided last month that it was Testronticles. Testronticles. That's right. We did butcher that yeah. terribly then. Yeah. Um, no, I think we got it right. I think you just <laughs> <laughs> I got it wrong this time. But how great would it be to see a Tetris Battle Royale game where you're fighting in Tetris against whatever number it might be, 199, I'm not sure, of other players trying to take them down and see who can make the lines, the Tetrises, and everything like that as as efficiently and quickly as possible. And all throughout that, you're attacking all these other people. I think that idea has a lot of promise. It's a fascinating concept. I mean, Tetris is widely regarded as one of the greatest games of all time. I mean, I'm not that high enough. I know you love it, and I think it's a fine game. But the idea of pairing it with the hottest genre in the world right now, 
What an interesting concept. So, Tom, I have a surprise for you. It is not your testicle. It is not my testicle. No, my hands up. Huzzah! Hands up. Hands up. Hands up. (laughs) (laughs) One of these games that I talked about today is real. Well, interesting. Is it on your phone? Is it on a console? I think you kind of broke the rules of our own little game here, Joey. I did, but I didn't. I'll explain why after we determine which one it is. Now, the first-person shooter meets a Detroit Telltale type of game. I think that is a very cool idea, but I think technologically it would be a nightmare to try to pull off, and I just don't think that it's possible now. Maybe not ever. Hopefully I'm wrong. So I'm going to go ahead and cross that off the list and look in your eyes and see if I'm right. You're nodding your head. All Mm -hmm, right. mm -hmm. So that means there's either a real-time strategy game with Tecmo Super Bowl Combat or Tetris Battle Royale. (laughs) Now, with the explosion of Battle Royale titles in recent years recent years, like the last year, <laughs> I have to imagine that, well, the licensing for Tetris would be a bear, but you're just playing the Tetris game as one of your best games of 2018. Oh, boy. I I got to think that it's Tetris Battle Royale. That is correct. So the little bit behind why this isn't me breaking the rules, I legitimately thought of that as part of coming up with this with this idea. I was thinking more so that you have L pieces running around shooting each other, um, and not actually playing Tetris. Uh, so I'll give you that. I didn't come up with this. But last week at the Nintendo Direct, they announced, and it was released that day, Tetris 99, where you play Tetris in the middle of the screen, and on the sides of your Tetris area, you see 98 other people's games of Tetris. That and seems you're, like a lot to process. You're random. You're just, you just really just have to focus on your thing, and then you have the choice to determine... I'm always focused on my thing. <laughs> and then you just have to determine who, what, how you're attacking. If you're attacking the people attacking you, you're attacking the people that are doing the best, just randomly attacking people, or if you're attacking people to try to knock them out. Once you get all the way to the top, you're knocked out, you get your place, you can start another game. It is awesome. It's free. So I would like you to try it out. I've played way too much of it already in the last week. It is simply amazing. I'm totally going to have to check it out. We'll t- probably talk about it to some degree next month. Well, that was a fun idea. Yeah, I didn't really know where we were going with it, but I'm sorry. So beyond being about movies and video games and outside is overrated, we're a fan of all forms of entertainment, and I know that you have recently invested in a whole bunch of video game books, so I thought we'd take a couple of minutes and break one down here. So without further ado, here is Burnsy's Book Buzz. What did you read this month, Joey? Yeah, so I've actually read quite a few video game books recently. I've just Oh, we're been, only talking about one. I know, I know, I know. Rest. I've just been kind of just rolling through them. I've, I don't know, voraciously been reading them. Uh, but the book I'm going to talk about today is Blood, Sweat, and Pixels by Jason Schreier. And um, what interested you in this book specifically? So, you know, in an industry where that, that tends to hold everything so close to the vest, games don't like game developers don't talk about the games they make that often unless they're trying to market it. They don't talk about what went wrong or how that happened or how they dug themselves out of the hole that they were in. And this game finds, or this book finds so many different places that they were able to talk to both people on the record, people kind of off the record that were going to say what all happened with a game. So for instance, one of the examples, which you mentioned earlier was they talk about Diablo three and the launch of Diablo 3, and oh, how amazing. it sucked, and how so many players hated it, just like you. And then, about how shortly before 
they shortly before they launched, they brought on a developer from Canada who was going to just work on the console port. And so he had a small team that was working on the console port. They figured out the whole right stick to roll and everything like that and how that kind of made the game feel more fun on a controller. And so many people think that the console version of the game is more fun than the PC version of the game because of some of those, you know, quality of life changes that they made. Well, anyway, after some shakeups, they decide they need a new direction. They need somebody who was basically outside of the company. So he comes in and they look at, these are all the things we need to change. We need to get rid of the auction house. We need to get rid of all this other stuff. And so it's just fascinating. That's just one example uh, of that they dive into in the book. Uh, another one they talk about is Star Wars 1313, one of the most famous games that never got released. And how LucasArts fell apart and crumbled, how the developers of that game got their hopes up, thought they were going to be picked up by another company, and then had that crushed when they went to a meeting that they thought was to pitch the game so that that studio who was working on an uncharted style of star Wars game was going to pick up that game and continue to develop it and add all of them to their team. At the end of the meeting guy looks at them and says, I don't know what they told you, but we're not going to develop your game. This was basically a job interview to see if we wanted to hire you. I don't know what they told you. And the guys were crushed because this game they've been working on for three years. Understandably, that is a miserable situation to walk into. And interestingly enough, that game that they were working on was the Amy Henning Star Wars game that got canceled and that studio got closed down. So it's interesting, just sort of the pieces and the webs that some of these things create. Uh, So it's really fascinating. It, it, It... like postmortems of games are always interesting, but usually you only get them out of the games that were massive successes. And then you probably only get the positive. Sides. Exactly. And I wonder if that's a byproduct of the time crunch that goes into making these games, or if it's just the PR people, which I am a PR person by <laughs> trade, I get it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if they're trying to crush any negative energy about it, and we're losing that honest feedback that could help future game developers just for fear of hurting sales in any way. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so a lot of the key takeaways of the of the book is that really, and why I kind of picked this book for this month, is that making games is a labor of love. Like, it's going to suck. You're going to hate this game by the time you're done making it. And unless you're in like the publishing area and you're being supported as like a AAA game, it is nearly impossible to make a game. Unless you're an independent studio that gets a Kickstarter. Um, but even that has its drawbacks. But... It's just, it's really because you love the game and you love the idea you came up. And even though you end up hating it at the end, you still love the fact that you created something and put it out there into the world. And so that's kind of what this game is, uh, this book is all about, delving into all sorts of different games from Stardew Valley to Uncharted 4. So it's really fascinating. That's interesting. I have a long-running argument with one of my closest friends about the state of video games. He's a disconnected gamer. He refuses to buy PlayStation Live, he doesn't want to be connected to the internet, he hates patches, and he hates when he plugs in his game and that it doesn't work. And, you know, I get it. That's a frustrating thing. You pay for a product, you expect it to work when mm-hmm. you try to use it. I, I totally get that. But I think I have a lot more empathy for the people behind the scenes, these huge teams that are making games. And, I mean, their careers hang on meeting sales numbers. And it, God bless them. I could never do it. I could never live yeah. in that kind of a stressful world. Yeah, it, so it's amazing, and there's so many different stories, and uh, a lot of it tends to sort of look at kind of gaming and crunch within gaming, where it's like that massive amount of work that you put in for like months upon months on end. 
and how that kind of tears apart lives. But after people are done with it, they still say they would always do it every time because it was all for the love of the game. So they're all a bunch of masochists, so buy it and boot it. Oh, definitely buy it. I think it's fantastic. Uh, Jason Schreier is one of the actual journalists in game journalism who actually does a lot of checking with sources and finding out information before people know it. Uh, and, and so, it's yeah, it's a fascinating book. I would definitely recommend it. You ready to move on to something completely new that we've never done before? I sure am. Hold on to your hearts. Here comes the Charisma Check. Hey, lovers out there, grab your D20s because it's time for Tom Awesome's Charisma Check. Let's get it on. Let's get it on. Hey, Tom, this is Brandon from Shoreview. Just had a question for you. Obviously, Link is in love with Zelda. Otherwise, he wouldn't be trying to save her year after year. Why do you think Link and Zelda never hooked up? Hey, Brandon, thanks for calling in. It's uh, it's an interesting question. Joy, do you have any initial thoughts on why Zelda and Link never hooked up? So do you want me to be cynical, or do you want me to try to just sort of, just sort of answer it nicely? Tom and Joy are in love here. <laughs> Let the love flow from your heart. Okay. Um, so I think this is a case where Zelda's just trying to play a little hard to get. Uh, and I think, really, if Link keeps trying, maybe in another game or two, he might actually succeed. Hard to get. How many games has he rescued her in? Well, see, that's the thing, because then if you start to try to look at the timeline of the Legend of Zelda series, it's, like, all over the place. And, I don't know, I haven't really played many of the games, none of them to completion, so maybe that's why Link hasn't gotten to completion either. I have a different theory. I like the, <laughs> I like what you did there. <laughs> I have a different theory. I think that maybe Link is trying to sell a cat to a princess who fancies dogs. Mm. I think that, uh, you know, maybe Link just doesn't fit her personal interest or views, and uh, that it's just never going to happen. And, hmm. I mean, maybe it's a lot simpler. Maybe it's just a big brother thing. Maybe he feels yeah. a brotherly relationship. But I, I bet that Princess Zelda just isn't into Hyrulean males. Real answer? Real answer. The real answer is Nintendo wants people to stay single and to stay alone for the rest of their lives so that only Nintendo can make them happy. Pretty good business model. (laughs) Hey guys, this is Opie, the overwhelmed gamer here, and I'm a long-time listener. This is my first time calling in. I think this is the first time you've done something like this, but uh, anyway... I really need your help, and I'm hoping that you guys can help me out with this because it's kind of kind of vexing for me. I really love video games, and right now video games seem to be going in this open world route, but no matter what I try to do with any of these open world games, I just tend to struggle to get past 15 hours or so. I don't know if it's that I don't have the stamina, but... When I get into these games and it starts to just open up completely, I just freeze and just don't know what to do anymore. Which way I can go, there's just so many options. So, I don't know, I really want to love these open world games. I'd like to get back to something like Red Dead Redemption 2 or Skyrim or maybe even that Zelda Breath of the Wind game that you guys talk about sometimes. I heard some guys say it's okay, but... 
I don't know. What advice can you guys give me to try to, to try to get through this anxiety with open world games? All right. Thanks guys. I'll hang up and listen. Thank you, Opie. That was very well put and very eloquent. A very articulate speaker. Yeah, I think so. Uh, he has a nice voice too, don't you think? Yeah, he should probably do a podcast or something. <laughs> I don't know. He's a little breathy, I think, for that. But uh, Tom, do you have any? I mean, I struggle with this too, surprisingly. Um, do you have any advice? Well, we know that open world games aren't your cup of tea. I tend to enjoy them, but I very seldom complete them. Thinking of just Skyrim as an example, I enjoyed the hell out of Skyrim. I put probably 30, 40, 50 hours into it before Skyrim, even Oblivion. I topped 100 hours and I barely touched the main story. Maybe the problem isn't open world games and loving open world games. Maybe the problem is defining success or defining happiness with the game, defining where your love level is. If you're getting 15 hours out of a game, is that enough? I mean, pay 60 bucks for a game, that's $4 a minute of enjoyment. I mean, at 15 hours, you've had some fun with it, hopefully. And uh, if not, maybe you should move on from open world games. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. One, if I'm going to give a more practical piece of advice to help you enjoy open world games, I'd say maybe try to laser focus, really dial in, maybe just critical path it. A lot of times I get bogged down in side missions, which is fine. I enjoy doing side stuff. I enjoy wandering around and seeing everything that the world has to offer. But if you're worried about not getting enough enjoyment out of your purchases, you're trying to fall in love, maybe just focus on the critical path and just, you know, pound that, see where it goes, and then if you're still interested in the game, you can see more of the side content. I suppose, or else just focus in on the parts that you love or that you get enjoyment or maybe even titillation out of and just focus on that for a while and maybe that'll open things up too. Whatever you do, just don't dive into retro gaming. Don't give up on <laughs> Skyrim and go back and play the NES. Hey guys, uh, this is uh, Trav. I got a question for you. So, I, uh, I'm lucky enough to have an old Nintendo Entertainment System that I've been keeping for a long time. And uh, well, I got this problem where uh, you know I got a little excited playing Mario. I say, Princess, that princess was looking pretty good. So I put my Johnson inside the Nintendo, and now it's stuck. And uh, I'm sure it has happened to one of you guys before, so I'm just wondering, you know, you got some way to get it out. Because I've been walking around with this Nintendo Entertainment sliding from, uh, you know, between my legs for the last couple of days. And I, it's starting to hurt a little bit. So you got some sort of lubricant or any sort of, like, tool that you can recommend to get that thing off of there. That would be uh, a very appreciative, guys. So uh, let, let me know. I'm really uh, looking forward to your answer. Thanks. Hi, Trav. Thanks for calling OIO. That's, uh, that's a lot to unpack. Just a little bit. <laughs> so, I guess first off, congratulations on keeping your NES and keeping it in working condition and uh, preserving something that you're passionate about. That's wonderful. Now, you asked if there was some kind of a tool or something to get it off your Johnson, and uh, yeah, I have a suggestion for you. Just go outside find the biggest rock you can find and just smash that son of a bitch into a million pieces and then never think about Nintendo Entertainment System again. You know, a friend of mine recently told me that he plays retro games for history, and I get that. Awesome. There's a lot of history in video games. I love that. But, you know, Princess is going to look a lot better on any new iteration of Mario, anything from the last five years, from the last ten years, from the last 15 years. <laughs> Let the past die. Kylo Ren was right. Let the past die. Kill it if you have to. 
to answer the question a little bit more specifically, a little margarine maybe would help. Or if uh, you don't find yourself feeling too awkward being in public, uh, stopping by a convenience store to get some KY jelly probably would work. Uh, I can't. Well, how's sit- he gonna get on though? I mean, like if he's jammed in there and well, the jelly, it, like you know, you get the like squeeze bottle and you just kind of squirt it all over the place. The Nintendo probably will not work afterwards. The Nintendo's fucked no matter what you do here, so just smash it with a big rock. Literally fucked. Um, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I, I, you know. I can sympathize a little bit. My had one of those Nintendos that you had to like put a cartridge on top in order so for it to be able to make the connections to play. Tread carefully here, Joey, because this could be the last edition of Outside is Overrated. There was one time when I scunned the top of my thumb really bad trying to pull a cartridge out. Ooh. Yeah. Okay. And imagining that uh, on your Johnson. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Tread carefully, Trev. Best of luck. Thank you for listening, and uh, thanks for calling in. Godspeed. What up, motherfuckers? My main man, motherfucking Patrick, moved all the way down to Florida and lives on a goddamn boat. A boat, for Christ's sakes. How am I supposed to play games with a guy who lives across the country on a boat? Punk-ass bitch won't even play Limp Biscuit for me. This is Jermaine. Thanks, Jermaine. It's a tricky thing, and being somebody that moved all the way across the country for a while away from all my friends that gamed... I did the same thing. We've both been in a very similar position. Uh, So the easy answer is if you have a console or even a computer, you can easily play games online with them, especially with like the ubiquity of Discord and all those other chat clients. It's pretty easy to be able to talk back and forth with your friends while you play games. Also, I know Steam has has a program called Board Game Simulator. And it has all sorts of different board games kind of built within it that people have put as mods that allows you to actually play board games with other people online. So that's also another way to be able to do that. Or you could go like, you know, really MacGyver and you could Google Hangout somebody in looking down at the table and have them make decisions that way. They're going to lose. But then again, you probably want your friend across the country to lose because he should have fucking been here. No doubt. That was very eloquently said. Uh, you said ubiquitous. That's a good word. Mm. That's uh, the second time I was going to call you out for a word. I forget the first one. I think you used it in Bernsey's book buzz, but uh, good stuff. I don't have a whole lot to add. I mean, hopefully you can go see your friends sometime or encourage them to come back and visit, and you can make a whole gaming weekend out of it. That was something that Joey and I both did when we moved away for various points of our lives. And, uh, you know, People grow up, we grow apart, lives change, priorities shift, and, uh, you know, gaming is unfortunately one of the things that gets cut, so hopefully you can find some time with your friend, either online or through visiting, and uh, just treasure that time. And there's also always kidnapping services out there. You can have him back in 24 hours tops. Yeah, but what's that going to cost? I mean, isn't it easier to just get on a damn flight? I mean, it might be, but it's a lot more fun and it's a better story this way. True enough. (laughs) Let's see who's up next here. Hi, Tom. This is Caitlin from Florida, and my boyfriend has a um, performance issue. He can't seem to get aroused unless I ask him Lord of the Rings trivia questions. Do you have any tips on how to get a nerdy guy excited that don't involve Frodo Baggins? Wow, this one really hits home for me. Caitlin, thank you for calling. We appreciate that you listen to the show, and... uh, you know, I personally have a burning hatred for Frodo Baggins, so I'm going to do my best to be helpful without diving into my own personal bias against the character that I hate most in all of fiction. So your boyfriend has he has something going on with fantasy, so maybe 
some of the ways that you can bridge the gap into more mainstream foreplay options is to start with some role-playing. Given his love for Tolkien, it's, he probably has some sort of fantasy role-play uh, affection. Maybe you can start with uh, not even sexy role-play at first, but start a role-playing campaign, and then maybe <laughs> you can try like a saucy adventure and kind of build from there. Maybe that's a starting point. Maybe uh, using some dice will get him going. There are settings that take place in Middle-earth. That would probably get his uh, gears cranking. So I guess that would probably be my starting point. Joey, do you have any thoughts or additions? Yeah, I mean, I think I think doing the role-playing would really help and might lead into role-playing in other areas as well. Uh, but there's a D in D20 for a reason. And if somebody's really into gaming, that's going to get them going. Definitely. And, like, you know, we say role-playing. To be clear, we're talking about actual, like, role-playing games. And then maybe you can expand into the naughty secretary someday down the road. I think that's the point that we're trying to make. Um, and, you know, also with his taste for Lord of the Rings and Frodo Baggins specifically, maybe you could do better. Maybe you need to <laughs> just take a time, take a couple minutes, think about yourself, think about your priorities, think about your life, and think about what's best for you. And, uh, you know, if he's the one, God bless you guys, and I hope it works out, and I hope that our advice was helpful. Yeah, uh, this is uh, Jimmy. Jimmy, uh I got a kind of a video game related question. The, uh, my girl and I, we play some Red Dead, you know, Red Dead 2, and uh, we love it when you get to go into Valentine and you get like that 25 cent uh, HJ in the, uh, in the bathtub. Yeah, I love it when they uh, knock around my digital Johnson. Anywho, uh, just wondering if maybe uh, you guys know of a spot somewhere around, you know, where we live in Minnesota. I think that's where you guys are from. If there's any, anywhere around where you where can get that done in, in real life, because my girl loves it too, and uh, she just doesn't quite get it done, but she likes to watch. So, um, yeah, if you guys know any anywhere where you can get that done, that'd be that'd be pretty sweet. Uh, so yeah, uh, long long time listener, first time caller. Thanks for your help, guys. Hey Jimmy, thanks for calling. Um, I don't know. Seems like we have a lot of kind of like dick humor going on here but we'll see what we can do with this jimmy that's hard to believe on outside and over right <laughs> for those who know me personally that is way outside of my wheelhouse and my personality it, it is but you know i i you know gave him a little pep talk here he's he's gonna make it through he's gonna he's gonna forge ahead but uh to answer your question jimmy uh so i work off of a little street called lake street uh that might be a really good area to start uh, like the lake in Portland area, you know, you can go with with your girlfriend, wife. I can't remember what he said. Something like that. Your, your lady friend. And you can go to the Midtown Global Market, get a little bit of uh, culture. culture. And then, you know, just a couple blocks down Lake Street either way. And I bet you you're going to be able to find somebody that can lead you to an alley and maybe help you out. There won't be a bathtub. It's a little cold for that right now. But uh that might be a good place to start. Um, just be careful. Do you have any idea what it's going to run on? I mean, 25 cents in Red Dead Redemption, I'm sure for the time that was accurate. Now, I haven't been in the market for a professional HJ, uh, <laughs> you know, ever, so I'm not really sure what uh, what he can realistically expect. Uh Lake Street, it's probably not too much more than Valentine. Um, I, I'd maybe say bring a fiver. 
Um, a 10 if you, you, you know, you're, you're looking for a little bit higher standards, but. And then, you know, a couple bucks to eat afterwards probably too. Yeah. Well, the global market is expensive, but it's worth it. Lots of cool things in there. Well, best of luck to you, Jimmy. I hope that, uh, you can find what you're looking for. Everyone deserves their slice of happiness or their HJ in a bathtub. That's your thing. <laughs> also, HJ stands for hand job, right? I think so. It's not like healthy job or. Uh, heart jump or... Yeah, I mean, there's a hospital right around there, so if you're looking for a healthy job, you could probably find one around there, too. Yeah, all right, well, the advice plays either way, yeah. so thanks for listening, and uh, let's see who's next. Hi, guys. This is Phoenix. My husband is too busy working on his gaming website and podcast to bang. What am I to do? Phoenix, thanks for calling in. Really appreciate it. She sounds hot, man. Yeah, she does. So, I guess... I, I don't know how to put this, but, uh, you know, if you look in the yellow pages for handymen, uh, you know, and, and maybe you start off with saying that you need like a wall patched up uh, or some 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 plumbing cleared. Uh, I bet that might start to lead in the right direction. If you're if you're striking out on that, usually Sunday or Saturday mornings out in front of the Home Depot, uh, there's lots of people that are kind of looking for work. You can always swing over that way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a, it's a tricky situation here, and, you know, I can emphasize I also have a gaming website and podcast, and it is a big time commitment. But, you know, I guess be patient. Um, my wife is very fortunate. I always put her needs first and her physical needs first. So, you know, just uh, maybe explain that you need some extra attention or that, uh, you know, you just need some more physical affection. Well put. <laughs> Everything I put is well put, if you know what I mean. Oh, uh, yeah. That does it for our first ever Charisma Check. Thank you so much to everyone who called in. I hope that we were able to give you some worthwhile life advice. I hope that me clicking my pen incessantly as I try to think of the next segue <laughs> doesn't carry over into the audio and drive everyone nuts. We got one more thing that we want to talk about before we wrap up today. Last month, we teased that we were doing the Final Fantasy Challenge, playing a different Final Fantasy every month of the year. So we are in February. We completed our challenge of Final Fantasy One. I'm going to let Joey lead this discussion because I didn't get very far, but uh, I think we both enjoyed the game. And Joey, why don't you talk about the overall experience of going back to this classic game? Interestingly enough, I actually played a little bit of the original Final Fantasy when it came out on Nintendo. My cousin had the uh, Nintendo Power that had, like, everything in it like all of the maps and everything and we were going through it and i was kind of reading through that that would be tremendously helpful yes and so as i was playing through on the nes classic version of the game it mentioned somewhere to look at the manual for added help and guidance oh my god and i pulled up the manual and it actually walks you through the first third of the game in the manual and tells you where to go and where does the first third end Oh, Lord, I think it, it alludes to getting to Bahamut and upgrading your classes, but it doesn't lead you all the way through there. But it goes past Crescent Lake and to a couple of other places past that, I believe. Oh, my God. So this is where I fell off in the game. I got the first crystal. I, I wrote about all this on Outside is Overrated. If you'd like my complete thoughts, you can check it out on the website. Just search for Final Fantasy Challenge. But I got the first crystal, 
And then the people in that town talked a little bit about the runes to the north. And I was about two-thirds of the way through the month. And so I started sailing. And sailing <laughs> sucks because you keep getting random battle encounters with these shitty monsters. And I don't mind fighting, but I wasn't getting enough experience to mm-hmm. level up. And I wasn't getting enough gold to upgrade my gear. So it was just a waste of time. And I found myself fleeing easy encounters just to try to progress, find the next area. There's only one place that you can actually go. One new place that you can go after getting that first crystal. And uh, I went there, it's Crescent Lake, and I didn't see anyone to talk to, so I'm like, oh, this must not be wrong, these aren't ruins, so I left. The monsters were about the right challenge level for me to be fighting, and so I I left and I sailed around for a couple more hours until eventually, it's like Crescent Lake is literally the only place that I can go. And so I went there and I explored, and there's a little path in the top right that leads to another area that you can't see in the main town map, and lo and behold, that's where... You get the next chunk. You get a canoe that opens up traversal options, and uh, it was easier to find the next dungeon from there. But, oh my god, what a frustrating thing. That just about made me quit the game, just trying to find where to go next. Yeah, and the last time I tried to play through the game, that's actually where I got stuck, and I never looked it up. This time I started getting stuck in that same spot, and I was like, what the hell am I supposed to do? And so we were I- both playing the PlayStation or-, or the Origins version on PlayStation it was the PS1 title that was redone, and we're both playing it on our Vita. So there's no manual. There's yeah. nothing to, like, look up. Yeah, so I had to search through walkthroughs, and finally it said to, like, there's the little path to keep going east to this false spot of the city. And it's like, oh, my effing God. I literally went to that town, like, four times, but finally got through that. And then after that, I think I had to look up one or two more things, but it was pretty easy sailing. Uh, well, easy sailing uh, once you got to that point. Uh, so... But the Origins edition, I did play a little bit of the NES Classic version, and oh my god, does the Origins version add so many quality of life changes. It looks a lot better. Uh, The graphics kind of match that sort of SNES style that was really popularized, and I kind of think what really put Final Fantasy on the map before it hit the PS1. And then the biggest change is the battles. In the original version of Final Fantasy, if you had two people attack the same monster and the first one killed it, the second one would just attack that spot of air. And it's so maddening because it's like, why are you attacking air? Are you too dense to tell that this monster like is bleeding on the ground? You're just going to like swing above it and be like, ha ha ha! You I know? showed you. Exactly. So... There's just a lot of backtracking in the game in general, too, which is one of the detractions of that. But a lot of older RPGs kind of do that a lot. And um, I was actually surprised by the character progression that it felt a lot more advanced to me. So I played as the fighter, the monk, then the red mage, and the black mage. And I thought it was really interesting. The monk sucks at the start. Like, he's terrible. And you buy weapons that he can use, and he's terrible with them. But it says a little bit of a thing somewhere in the game that he's best fighting unarmed. So when you remove that weapon, he actually starts to put out a little bit of damage. And contribute. And, like, once he turns into the master later on in the game, and you're hitting a monster, like, ten times, and he's doing 300 damage, like, he turns into a freaking beast at the end of the game. That's awesome. I wonder if the thief ever... If the class evolves now, I never played this game far enough to get to a class evolution. I saw when I was trying to buy spells earlier that there was a knight class and other things. So I was mm-hmm. going to ask you if there was a new game plus or 
I am surprised that a Nintendo Entertainment System title had a class evolution system. Yeah, I think that was one of the things that was really revolutionary about the first Final Fantasy. There's no New Game Plus, uh, but yeah, once you get all the crystals, then you find Bahamut, and he gives you class upgrades. So the fighter becomes a knight. The all the red uh, wizards are all the red mages become are all the mages become wizards of that color. The thief turns into a ninja. And, that sounds uh, very cool. Yes, and the and the monk becomes the master. So the thief was pretty weak. I think he was supposed to have a high evasion, but he got hit just as much. He couldn't mm-hmm. wear the good armor. He wasn't as good with weapons. He was he could reliably hit, which contributed. But overall, he would have been the person that I ruled out for something else. Yeah, yeah. I think the monk was a lot like that at times. And when he got hit, he took a ton of damage because he couldn't wear a lot of the really heavy armor. Uh, but he was like a glass cannon, basically. He. As you leveled up, and once you got to about level 7 or 8, he was really starting to pump out the damage. The uh, the fighter was a little bit better than him, but it was kind of neck and neck throughout most of the game. It's well stated that I hate old games, but I enjoyed Final Fantasy 1. I. I would play it again, and if I do beat any of the Final Fantasies before the end of the <laughs> month, I do intend to go back and try to polish off Final Fantasy 1. Any other closing thoughts on the game? No, it's just I, I'm finally glad that I beat it. I've tried playing it a couple times through. And so this is the first time I was actually kind of able to get through that. I had one weekend where I didn't have much going on, and so I made a lot of progress just watching TV. It was Those games are really good for, like, watching something, and you get into a fight and you just XXXXXXX all the way through, and they do their fighting and stuff like that, unless it's something you actually have to pay attention to. Uh, and, and the graphics of the monsters, they up a lot of them in the Origins version, so it actually looks pretty cool. Uh, from a graphical standpoint, the sprites, I mean, hold up really well, I think. Yeah, pretty good game. Now it's February. We have moved on to Final Fantasy II. I was immediately grabbed by what a vastly different game it is. Classes, gone. Yep. Uh, it's very story-based. There's no experience at all. I was like, my first fight, I'm like, where the hell is the experience? <laughs> uh, skills improve as you use them, which felt like a very modern concept from Final Fantasy II. And overall, I think it feels like a much more modern game, and it's got an actual story to it, which is pretty light, Uh but I'm interested, and uh, I'm interested to know your thoughts on it so far. Yeah, it's really interesting, and it's surprising in just like a year, year and a half, somewhere in between that time frame, they came up with this completely different version, and sure, the mapping and everything like that's fairly similar, but to have that where as you use a weapon, you level up more with that weapon... It, it I was very surprised. I I remember the first time that I saw a skill like that was Ultima Online, and then eventually I think Elder Scrolls Three Morrowind did mm-hmm. a really good job with it. And uh, I was very surprised to see it in this game. Yeah, it adds it adds a lot a level of customization, which is kind of cool. Uh, and so you can make any of the characters a magic user. Certain ones have skills that are a little bit more suited to it. Some of them have more intelligence than others, so it makes more sense to give them the magic because they'll be more effective with it. Uh, but I didn't look at that. I just started casting spells, and whoever got the most magic points started getting more spells. Well, and it's interesting because if you don't use magic with like someone that you were building up magic for a while, their intelligence will actually decrease. I saw that, and I was exceptionally frustrated by the rate of decreasing skills. <laughs> so, I don't know. It's interesting. I'm, I don't know how far I am through it. Maybe a fourth of the way through it? I'm not sure, but... I just got the Elder Flame, or the... What's the Sunfire? Okay, so I'm a little bit behind you, but not too far. Yeah, I'm at a make-or-break point with this game. Like, I was playing it last night, and I just about retired it forever. Oh, really? So, heading into this dungeon, you have to fly to this area, and... uh, 
another change in this game is your inventory space is very limited. In the uh-huh. original game, uh, once I was wealthy enough to pile up 99 potions, I could go where I wanted, mm-hmm. and I could do what I wanted, because I could just keep healing and preserve my precious healing magic. In this game, you have, I think, 60-some yep. in, uh, inventory spots, and each potion takes up one of those. And yes. I found a bunch of antidotes and a bunch of eye drops, so I'm in this dungeon. And they drop you off in the middle of nowhere. There's no town, so there's no resupplying. And so the first time I went to this dungeon, I wiped. Super frustrating, but it happens. So I tried to grind a little bit, and without you know XP and levels, grinding is very difficult. Like I mm-hmm. desperately wanted more magic points for my character so that I could heal more. Uh, I view that as a vital part to survive in this dungeon. And so I played an hour or so just trying to cast as many spells as possible and get more magic points. And I went back, and uh, they hand you a new character when you get to this dungeon. I'm sorry if this is spoiling it for you. Nope, I think I got that character, I think. And he sucks. He's uh, he's low level. He doesn't have many hit points, but like I had brought a full set of mithril gear for him so that at least he was geared up. And, uh, you know, he's going to die in that dungeon because he can't... <laughs> healing is very limited. He doesn't have many hit points. Like, I did... I got pretty far with him, and then monsters attack him three times in a round between cure spells for him, and then I wasted a cure spell casting it on the air. Awesome. Super excited about that. Would it help to put him as a formation in the back row so he so less damage would happen to him and give him like a bow or something like that hobby box burns is smarter than me <laughs> yes that would probably be a perfectly acceptable answer and a perfectly reasonable way to keep him alive i am a big dumb idiot one other uh, quality of life thing to mention to you hit select and circle and you'd get a map Oh my fucking god <laughs> it, especially in this game i feel like it helps a lot yeah, and early on, the towns are close together, which is nice. I mean, you do a lot of walking back and forth, and there's a new mechanic where you have to ask and ask about things mm-hmm. and memorize key terms. I won't dive into that. I'm not super crazy about it. <laughs> but this dungeon, I got up to the top, I got the thing, and there's no warp out of the dungeon. So two out of my four characters are dead. Every potion is expended. Every magic point is spent. So there is literally no more healing. Mm-hmm. And the thing that maybe drives me the craziest about Final Fantasy II, Flea doesn't work. Flea is yep. still an option, but it does not freaking work. I yep. In the first one, I would flee all the time. If the monsters didn't have engaging enough rewards, I'd just leave. If I didn't think I could win, I'd leave. Yep. If my party got beat up, I'd leave. In this game, it doesn't work. Yep. So I'd be trying to traverse down this dungeon, and two characters, no healing there. Monsters that I just could not fight. Couldn't fight, couldn't flee, so it's like, oh, reload again, and hope that when I touch that spot this time, a weaker monster spawns. Yeah, Final Fantasy II is widely regarded as the hardest of all the Final Fantasy games. I just about hung it up in that stupid dungeon last night, but I managed to get outside, and there's no town right outside. Maybe yep. now that I know that there's a map feature, I can find a town, and I can heal, and I can revive my two characters, <laughs> and I'll keep plugging away for the next seven days in February. But, uh, oh man, I'm at a make-it-or-break-it point. You know, I like it, but trying to advance my characters is frustratingly slow. Yeah, and, I, and I've also found, like, earning gill is, like... So slow in this game, like, and it's annoying. Monsters have different guild levels. Like in the first, and diff- there's no experience points. But in the first game, you knew exactly how much experience you're going to get from an ogre and how much gold you get mm-hmm. from them. So if you're fighting four, you're like, oh, I'm going to get this much experience and this much gold. This is totally worth my time to do. In this game, a goblin can range from five gil to fifty gil. Yep. I opened a chest in a dungeon, and there was three gil in it. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 punishing that way. Uh, the economy is really hard. It, it's cool to some extent because it makes you choose what it is you need to focus on. Like, are you going to get weapons? Are you going to buy scrolls to learn magic? Are you just going to buy potions to be able to heal yourself? Like, 
how are you going to try to focus on this finite resource? But yeah, they said like, I got to the point where I got the mithril gear and it's like, I can't afford any of this shit. I have no money. (laughs) So yeah, it's, 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 it's punishing. Do you think you're going to finish it? This one's going to get close. I don't, I don't know. We'll have to see how, how like this weekend goes. Uh, Next week won't be as busy for work. So maybe I'll have a chance to play and finish it up. It's, I, I don't know. I'm not nearly. I mean, at this point in the month, last month, I was finishing Final Fantasy One. So yeah, you went on a nice blitz and were able to round it out. I don't think I'm going to finish it. I'm going to try. I'm going to yeah. see how far I can get. But I mean, I'm not as interested in finishing this one either. If I don't, it's going to be like, eh. I'll write my impressions for the site and I'll move on, and that'll be fine. And and while it does have story elements, I still don't think it does a very good job yet. And then granted, this is an old game, so that's understandable of making you really connect to any of the characters. Sure, they have names, but there's really not a whole lot aside from that. And one of them is named fucking Gus. <laughs> hey, one of my Final Fantasy I characters was named Gus. He was yeah, my, well, you chose that. That's fine. He was my monk slash master. So. One of mine was named Burnsy. Yeah. And who, was he the best person in your party? He was the uh, black wizard. Is it black or blue? Black, black. Black, yeah. I thought black would be very suited for you. My party was you and me and Phoenix and Balzac. Nice. Uh, my party was, it was Gus and Leaf and Carl and Jojo. So you named one character after yourself and then the rest. Yep. And I was uh, the black mage. Well, <laughs> clearly we nailed you. Yeah, we did. I think we'll have to have a... Discussion about naming conventions at a future point. (laughs) Well, we've been going on for a while here. It's been a very interesting show. I hope that you've all loved it as much as we have. As I stated at the beginning, Tom and Joey are in love. Yes, I I think we are. And I I, I feel comfortable enough with myself to say that. And you looked me in the eyes and I looked away sheepishly. It was a very awkward moment right there. (laughs) But the kind of magic that you can only capture on an audio podcast. Any closing (laughs) thoughts, Joey, that you'd like to get to before we wrap it up here? No, I mean, I... I think there's just lots of games coming out. This has been a weird this has been a weird spring in that there's our late winter where there's just been a shit ton of things coming out and it's weird because I don't really feel connected to much of any of it except for Tetris 99. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to Outside is Overrated today. If you enjoyed it, please tell a friend. If you know anyone that's into gaming or thinks my brand of wiener jokes is entertaining in any way, we'd certainly appreciate more listeners. We're going to be back next month with another show. We are committed to doing 12 episodes this year. I want to say thank you to our sponsor one more time, Premier Health Minnesota. You can visit their website at premierhealthmn.com. You can follow us on social. I'm Tom underscore underscore awesome on Twitter. That's two underscores. Do not forget them both. It's kind of like Javert. Do not forget my name. Do not forget my face. How could anybody forget that lovely face? How indeed. <laughs> follow the show on Facebook at facebook.com slash outside is overrated. Are you a Lame Miz fan, by the way? Lame Miz? Yeah, Lame Miz. Like the, the musical? Yeah. Or the book, but most people are familiar with the musical. Um, it's like 10,000 pages long. To be honest... Never seen it. Huh. As a former play director, directed a couple musicals, never seen Les Mis. Not the movie, not the musical. Uh, haven't read the book because, no. I'm fairly recent to it, too. I've just gotten into it in the last couple of years. Phoenix's family is into it. But Javert is the main antagonist in the show. And gotcha. there's lines in the song earlier where he tells the protagonist, do not forget my name, do not forget my face. It's very menacing. I just mm. channeled my inner Javert. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs>
Oh, I'm from the gutter too. Anyways, you can also follow us on Instagram at outside underscore overrated pod. But the main channel for reaching me is Twitter, Tom underscore underscore awesome. Thank you again so much for listening. Like I said, we'll be back next month. Stay inside, kids. Love y'all. Thanks, Pat. <laughs> back streets, back. Go on, right. Hell yeah, Tom's back again. Would you like to buy Destiny 2, Joey Burns? <laughs> Fuck no. <laughs> oh, I'm fudge. No, fudge. We're all grown up, so you can say fuck. <laughs> yeah, I should really learn how Audacity works. That seems like it would be a smart thing for me to do. I should maybe learn how my soundboard works, too, but... You know, who has the time to learn how our tools work? Just pick up that thing with, like, the one end and then, like, the pointy end and just start hitting shit with it, man. You just got to turn that knob into the... And OIO is all about turning the knob. Oh. Oh. So, uh, rumor has it you regret talking about your balls and that way in the last episode. Uh, you know, maybe a little bit. Other than ruining your chances of running for office someday, I mean, I thought it was golden. (laughs) It was actually pretty red. A little white in some spaces. It's so veiny. (laughs) (laughs) We'll see if these shirts stay on, too.